Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and a parent of two young adults, one of which is diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Um, This is Ilya with the Spectrum Strategy Group, and uh, today's episode, I'm very happy to have uh, Sarah Hendricks with me today, Um, and uh, I really appreciate you taking time, Sarah, to join me today. Hello. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yes, yeah. So um, my, you know, my background in knowing you um, or hearing of you is when I worked um, at A&E and uh, you have done, you know, several talks on uh, particularly women and autism. And I am really interested in the topic. And I know, you know, I've touched on it tangentially with a few uh, uh, other podcasts that I've done with women, uh, Becca, Becca Laurie and also Marina Kay. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about it, but it was more, you know, uh, kind of like on the outskirts, but we've not really talked about it uh, directly. So I really wanted to get a, a chance to do that with someone who I know, you know, for for the, the crowd that I was with, it was like, oh, Sarah is the expert on women and autism. Um, but first, I'd like if, you know, if you don't mind giving a little bit of background about yourself for our audience members who don't really know uh, of you or only know a little bit about you. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, well, I am, uh, I think I'm 52. I forget frequently. Um, and I am autistic. Uh, I was diagnosed somewhere around my early 40s. Again, I can't remember that either. Um, I have two autistic adult children, um, probably very likely an autistic mother. I have an autistic partner and a whole ton of other nieces, nephews and other relatives with or without uh, diagnoses. So that's the kind of personal stuff, I suppose. Um, I came into the field of autism in the uh, early 2000s, working in a a college with students as a, a, a support worker, an educational support worker. And I began to work with students with Asperger's syndrome, knew nothing about it at all. Um, And then through having some knowledge and through um, uh, studying to be an adult education teacher, I I then got a job working for a bespoke project for seven years, which was a mentoring service for um, young autistic people, mainly the Asperger non-learning disabled autistic people. Um, And I started delivering training. And along the way, discovered that my partner, Keith, was autistic and neither of us knew that when we met. And then I started writing books because at the time there really was very little out there. Um, I think a lot of social media in terms of the way the autistic community has grown just didn't really exist, certainly not to the scale that it does now. Um, And so the autistic adults were, were still... They were they were kind of unusual and anomaly 
Uh, it was very much male focused um, and it took a number of years before I realized, even working in autism, writing books about autism, I still didn't really see a version of autism that fitted me. I knew I had lots of individual components, which I've later understood all fit together to make an autistic profile. But at the time, they, I, I didn't have that reference point. So it took a long time for me to, to work out that I was autistic along that way. Um, I ended up writing six books, the final one on, on women um, and traveling all around the world, doing conferences, uh, presentations and all of those uh, kind of things. Um, after my diagnosis, it took me about two or three years to tell anyone um, professionally because I just wasn't sure how it would be perceived. And I think my own prejudice said, well, maybe these people won't want to work with me. Maybe they'll think I'll be difficult or, or I won't, you know, I won't get, I won't have, have an income anymore. Um, but I think over the last few years, the, the, the culture of, of knowledge, acceptance, awareness of, of, of autistic adults particularly has just changed phenomenally. Certainly in Britain, it, it's, it would be rare now to have a, a, a conference without at least one autistic speaker. Whereas in the past, even five, 10 years ago, that was that was really rare. So I, I suppose I've been very fortunate to be part of all of this at a time when and to me it feels like it's changed enormously from an invisible bunch of people to a people who really have a voice which is much more taken taken seriously yeah no I I totally agree I think um it, I, I've even seen an evolution in just the last you know 10 to 12 years um my son was diagnosed at nine so you know we were fortunate but now working with educators and learning a lot about um you know early intervention and early identification even nine is you know now nine is late <laughs> yeah. so so it's it's really been a, an interesting um like you said like an interesting evolution and I, I I find it interesting I did you know I do I did read your bio um, with you know several family members and I, I think you know I kind of fall in the same category I remember being asked by a um, by someone you know do you know if someone in your family um, is also on spectrum and I said yeah I think I have a, a family bush not a family tree yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely so in perspective as well regarding the women thing um i don't i'm so bad at years and knowing but i came over is it the asa conference the really big one in in america thousands uh, of people go to an annual autism conference yeah i do there's several so i'm not really I sure think it, i think yeah. it's the um american Psych psychiatric association it's huge really really big temple oh, brandon the... was the the speaker when i went um and i i came and and you know put my proposal in to do to do a workshop and I, I spoke about women and autism um and this the conference had at least three thousand delegates and I had 14 people in my room and I think 12 of them were autistic women so yeah. the the interest and the knowledge and this I don't know how many years ago it was maybe maybe five six years ago it just wasn't there there was there was nobody was interested nobody thought it was a thing at all even in a in a conference of that size and now we have whole conferences just about female uh, female autism something i want to say just before we move on just to get it out there is 
um, I'm, I'm, I have a minor concern about this genderization of autism because mm. every now and again I get someone, I get, I get a, a, a male a person writing to me saying, "I'm a, I'm an autistic female. This is, this right. is me." And, and I think it's important that we acknowledge, although we are genderizing these these profiles of autism, that there are lots of non-women who experience this profile. And equally, there are women who fit much more neatly into this, the, the traditional kind of male, uh, in inverted commas, profile. So I think it's important that, yes, we're going to use the word female and women, but it doesn't exclude other genders from from identifying with this profile. Right. I really, I really appreciate that because that's something that I do talk about when I do my training is, you know, we do have sort of this, um, you know, uh, this just two gender type of approach when we're talking about um, different types of profiles. And I do try to emphasize that we might be using those terms right now, but that's not, you know, people will feel like they fall into a, a wide, um, I guess, spectrum also, like a, a, an array. And um, I definitely think people will identify regardless of gender um, with much of what we will talk about today. Sure. Good. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So, so when we talk about... Um, you know, women in autism, often what I've experienced is that it, there is a later diagnosis, like much later. Um, is has, And I know for you personally, that is an experience. But why do you think that might be? I think when I when I wrote my book about women, which again is now quite out of date because there have been many at the time, I think I, I tried to do a literature review and I, 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 I think there was about 12 um 12 papers, academic papers that I was able to review that had any mention of gender whatsoever. And obviously now I, I think there's lots more um, and lots more papers specifically on, on girls and, and, and females. And certainly within that literature review, one of the papers that I found had established that the, that the average age for a boy to get an autism diagnosis within their sample group was five and the average age mm -hmm. for a girl was eight. So, so even at a young age, there seemed to be this acknowledgement, yeah. obviously, within this sample group that, that for some reason the girls were, were, were getting diagnosed a little bit older. I think, again, anecdotally, through my experience, through the experiences of other people, such as Dr. Judith Gould, who works very extensively in, in, in this, this area, is that sadly, and, and forgive me if some of the things I'm going to say today are upsetting, <laughs> false right. <laughs> But, you know, um, that society has a tendency to psychologically evaluate women and neurologically evaluate males. Mm. Um, and so quite typically, um, I meet a lot of people who women who have been through a number of psychological diagnoses, such as phobias, such as OCD, such as, you know, sensitive child uh, and added all together that kind of looks a lot like autism for some people. Um, and yet nobody's putting them together they're 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 you know I I, I the, the work I do now is mainly offering a non-clinical assessment service not a diagnosis I'm not qualified to diagnose I'm very clear about that but there are a population of people and the majority of those are women who just want to know whether they're autistic or not they've done the research they've watched the youtube they've done all the reading they've had the big light bulb moment and they just want to know and 
it's astonishing to me. Some of these women have been through typical diagnostic process, often with the, the ADOS, the adult diagnostic, right. whatever it's called, which is not recommended for, for adult women. Um, and some of them have come out with a diagnosis of sensory processing disorder, anxiety, um, OCD. They just come out with this list of stuff. And I've said yeah. autism and they go, yeah, I know. But it, there, there seems to be a culture sometimes where that's just not being named as such. So um, right. I think that's a problem. I think also historically, because the the founders, if you like, of modern day autism understanding only had males in their sample groups, then we never really had a profile of anything else. And the all of the learning, mine own included, when, when I started to study autism, everything said it's boys, it's boys, it's males. They're, they're, and, and so the idea of a, a female walking into your clinic, the idea of autism wasn't and isn't still on the radar of a of a shockingly large number of of medical clinical professionals they just don't see it that it's possible yeah and i've heard um in speaking with different people that you know some of it and and let me know what you think of this is is that developmentally um you know people born female just have a different uh sense of I'm trying to think of what the words are, but what people have said is, you know, females are better at masking, and I'm going to use the word better, but I don't know if that's a good thing or not, um, are better at mimicking the environment around them or reading information in a different way than those born male, and that that could be a reason for um, you know, a misdiagnosis or a later diagnosis. I, I, and I'm curious because I've heard it and I've even said it, but I'm just curious if that's what your experience is. Um, yes, I think I think there's, there's some element of truth in that. But I I think from a, you know, this this masking word is mm. is is interesting. It, it, it kind of sounds like it's always deliberate or always conscious and it certainly seems to be the case for a lot of people that that isn't always the case, that it's, I think, in a way, you know, rather than this idea of, as you say, better at, which I, I know you weren't <laughs> sure about that terminology, it's it's some kind of, you know, it's it's resilience, it's survival, it's it's what do I need to do? What do I need to do to be invisible? What do I need to do just not to be ignored or bullied or or whatever that, that it, it it just feels just extraordinarily protective on a on an almost primeval level yeah. for some people in the same way that maybe the more traditional male inverted commas profile would be to just withdraw the you know mm -hmm. that's the easiest way for me to just not engage with this thing this social thing this that's way too complicated, way too flexible, makes no sense to me. I'm just going to withdraw completely. Whereas there right. does seem to be a tendency for a lot of women and some some other, other genders to try to engage. So it's kind of sleeping with the enemy, if you like. <laughs> and, and we know that traditionally, and I don't hear this said so much, which is good, but... but um, there used to be this kind of idea of certain types of uh, of autistic male who had a, an arrogance and a superiority that they knew they were right and everyone was stupid and all of that kind of thing. 
and and I come across that far far less in in females it, it seems to yeah. me they might think it but they're much more willing to say how do I just be like these people I'm going to change my hair I'm going to change my clothes I'm going to I'm going to get a spreadsheet I'm going to work out you know how and literally some people do they they they, they plan strategically right, how to sure. morph themselves into another another person so so sometimes it's subconscious but sometimes it's very much a mechanical plan um whereas to me I don't know the word masking it doesn't it doesn't feel like it it doesn't feel like it fits my experience as a as a perpetual right. masker um it's not a word I would I would use I, I think I think for me the word I would use, and, and again, this is a word that a lot of women have used, is this idea of being on. So, so mm, when, sure. when you're in public, when you're, and even performing feels too much, it feels too contrived. It's just, I'm, I'm on. And, and that's right. draining, that, that all, all systems are functioning, all systems are thinking, all systems are making sense. Internal monologue, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? That it, that, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. No, I think. Yeah, I think that, that that. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think many people will resonate with that feeling in it, and I don't. I don't think it is deliberate. I think it's like you said, partly survival, <laughs> and <laughs> and right, like wanting to, and I guess depending on you know what age group you're in, you know, wanting to fit in with your peers, but it doesn't really matter whether it's the 12 year old in middle school or, you know, the senior in high school or college or an employment environment, or even in a family function. Um, it can, it, it is something that I, that feels like it could be just an automatic and maybe have different versions. I don't know what you think about that. Is there, or could there be different versions depending on the environment that you're in? Absolutely. And I think a lot of people have said that one of the things they find quite difficult is when those environments collide. So, for example, if there's some kind of you know, wedding or an event where your colleagues might come, your family might come, your friends might come from different parts mm. of your life, then you don't know who to be. And, and that's certainly <laughs> something that people have said. It's no idea who to be. Who, who am I? And that idea of who am I is also something that comes up quite, quite, quite commonly. Um, my my uh, my own experience of that, and I don't know whether if anyone has ever seen me on stage or um, you know on YouTube or whatever, it, it might be a surprise. But prior to getting on the stage, um, I'm my my partner Keith would often come with me. I, I don't travel very well independently, um, and I would be sitting in the audience saying to him. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And what am I doing here? What am I doing here? Why am I here? Why am I here? Why have I agreed to this? I can't do this. I'm really properly freaking out. And he calmly, he's and he calmly sits next to me and says, don't worry. As soon as you get on the stage, the other one turns up. <laughs> and he's right. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it's really interesting. Um, because, so I wonder if when, um, you know, I'm thinking about this concept of I don't know who to be. I wonder, and and so from what you're just what you've just said, maybe the answer is no, or maybe, or it depends. Probably is the better answer. Mm -hmm. But when um, when people do get that diagnosis, because I, I like you, you said you do um, you know non clinical assessments. Do you feel that some of that um, gets 
goes away, like that this sense of needing to have different, um, you know, versions of being on. Um, do, do you think some of that goes away or that people feel like they don't have to do that as much? Absolutely. It's absolutely huge. I, I would say that the majority of women that come forward for these assessments, and again, it's a time thing, you know, maybe a child in the family has been diagnosed, maybe you've, you've had access to you know, the media stuff that's out there. There's articles, there's books, there's you know, TV shows and things with autistic female characters in and that kind of thing. But there is an absolute age group and, and the age group is probably kind of 40 to 60 on average there, there are there are definitely people either side of that but that's the age group and it very much feels that it's something to do with kids growing up with pre-menopause with just all sorts of changes in life at around that kind of age and these women are done they are <laughs> done with the work they have been through every therapy they've read every self-help book They've beaten themselves up. They've been reprimanded, you know, for just being wrong. They've analysed, they've observed, they've tried absolutely everything they can to, to fit. And, you know, they just want to know what's wrong with them. And they've come across this idea of autism. And for, for a number of them, the way they describe it is quite astonishing. It's, it's, it's absolutely like a bolt out of the blue that they've you know, watch something, read something. And it's, it's, it's huge. It's absolutely changed their life in a, in an absolutely, in a, in a moment. Um, and then off they've gone with their intense interest and researched it to death for a period <laughs> of time. <laughs> and then they, and then sometimes they come and they talk to someone like me or they, they go and find clinical diagnosis. And, and I always say to them, why are you here? And they, she, they say, I'm, I'm sure I'm autistic. I'm sure I'm autistic. I, you know, please tell me I'm autistic. It, it's, and I think that's also interesting that this diagnosis or assessment is not a tragedy. It's it's absolutely, you know, they found the key to everything. And and they're so fearful of you taking it away from them that, that, that they're wrong. They're fearful to be wrong. Um, and, and I say, right. well, look, it sounds like, you know, already, what do you need me for? And they say, <laughs> I need... Because, you know, you've got to be honest. <laughs> right. Because they're so certain. And because most of them are autistic, of course they're certain because they've done all this research. <laughs> and I say, what are you looking for? You know, just, just you know, you, you clearly think you're autistic. So off, off you go. And, and they say, I need permission. I need permission mm. from someone, some external source validation. I need permission to be myself. I need permission to state my needs, to ask for what I need and to live my life in a different way. Um, and and that that is that's that's 70 percent of the people that I speak to will will almost have a word for word verbatim conversation that sounds like that. Um, and so right. I think as, as your, your original question is that. Um, and I don't know if it's a woman thing. I wouldn't like to say that. That's not universal. Of course, it's not. But there's something about not finding it very difficult to give yourself permission to just say, screw this. I'm, I'm going to be me now and do my own thing. Um, that there's something about an external person, hopefully whom you trust, that just says, yes, you're right. Off you go. And yeah, huge. I, I do. Huge. 
Yeah, I wonder if it, you know, there is, I think, maybe a a, a feminine element to that. Um, because I know even in my own work, I've been, you know, I've been in therapy for 20 something years. And I too have experienced many of the things that that I've read you talk about um, with, you know, kind of jumping around from different things of different interests, um, you know, just not, I think you, you talk about you and your partner being very different in how you present, right? Mm. And so I, I wonder, because I too have had the same, you know, looking at deep, intense interests and looking um, at that external validation to just be uh, be myself, and I'm I'm at I'm actually at that same age. And I, it's funny you mentioned about forgetting your age. I told my therapist I was writing her note, and I said I was 47, and I'm like, wait, no, I'm actually 49. <laughs> oh, you lost a couple of years. <laughs> I did. I said you maybe I just want to stay at 47. <laughs> but but it's interesting because I I wonder sometimes. You know, our, 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 the, the, your environment and the society around you can also impact, right, that same putting, putting that persona on or putting um, your own needs behind other people's needs. And, and it feels like it would be similar to many, um, many people's experience, but then this added uh, magnification of like an autism layer. And I'm not saying that I, I haven't played with the fact that I'm I'm on spectrum as well, given my family history. Um, but you know, in some ways, I look at it as so. What's my desired? Like you said to to, to your clients, right? Well, what do you need me for? <laughs> what, what's the desired outcome here, right? Like I just want to live my life and kind of say, like you said, screw everything else and be me. Um, so I, I'm I'm curious, uh, you know what. Uh, how many women out there have experienced the same thing and, and and men too like this sense of no there's you know it's all these other things that have happened in your life it's all these other stuff mm. and then it's like well hmm, I don't know is it or is it my response is different than it would be if I wasn't autistic right absolutely and and that again is something that comes up a lot that I think it's I'm, I'm no psychologist, but I think it's fairly standard fair that we create narratives that make sense of our lives. Um, and, and a lot of the people that I meet have made these narratives. The narrative will be I was the only Asian kid in the class. It will mm -hmm. be I skipped a year because I was gifted. It will be my family moved around a lot. They were in the military. Uh, you know, I was the tallest kid, the fattest kid, the shortest kid, the disabled <laughs> kid, the, the whatever kid. That that's my narrative. I had trauma. I I had abuse. I had whatever. And and then when you know that there's something there, um, you you then as as someone trying with them to un unpick all of that is trying to kind of figure. And it, it's not you know you can't disregard any of that of course you can't right. but you're kind of trying to say well even if that stuff hadn't happened to you who would you have been underneath would would you right. would you still have been the same way underneath and and f for me that's the kind of interesting bits where you're trying to you know think what might have been the impact of this experience and actually what's not explained by that experience at all 
that still fits in the autism criteria. And then, you know, so we're, we're, we're really trying to dig around to see at what age can we find evidence that, that these things were there that might predate some of these traumatic experiences or unusual experiences. Can we think, well, okay, you moved around 10 times and now you're telling me that that's why you don't have many social relationships. Let's talk about your brothers and sisters. How are they? So mm. we're constantly trying to kind of see um, if if actually, yep, that's that's clearly part of the picture or actually, you know what? I don't know that that is because your experiences are not the same as other people who shared them. And right. so, yeah, it's it's a subjective process. There is no definitive yes or no. Sure. I think also sure. one of the one of the key things when I, particularly when I come across people who it transpires on and not don't meet don't meet criteria, often you can see why they think they did because mm -hmm. they. So, for example, um, I've I've certainly worked with people who um, difficult. Uh, marital relationships and relationships falling apart and the partner is saying you're this you're you know, you're controlling you're cold you're unemotional you're you're this you're that and they've gone off and gone oh my god that's me I'm autistic um and quite quickly we can often say well it, it's only that one person that's saying that about you <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you know, what's everyone else saying about you? And often again, it's a, for some women, they've really taken on this. There's something wrong with me. I need to be fixed. If I'm autistic, that will explain why I've been a, apparently mm. a terrible partner or, or, or something. Another, another little pattern that's come up a few times has been people who've been brought up in very strict religious communities, um, mm. which have a very fixed structure, routine, behavioural um, expectations of you. Um, and sometimes if those are, are quite closed communities, there have been, I have met individuals who've come out of those communities, sometimes quite late in life, because maybe there was a marriage within that community as well, which may have ended. And they've come out in their 40s with no social circle, with... A, a real need for a regimented life because that's actually all they've ever known. Um, right. And so again, we, we unpick it and, and sometimes we find that actually, no, nope, you, you, you don't meet this criteria. Um, and it's, it's, it's not, it's not the answer. Right. So, so I'm thinking now if, if we have listeners now who are saying, wow, I wonder, I wonder, you know, and I think my audience uh, are mostly parents, educators, um, and I do have some adults. And I would say many of the educators are what I call doubly qualified, right? So they're a parent <laughs> or an adult and an educator um, or all of the above. What um, for the for, for those who might say, oh, you know, yeah, I, I saw it in my in my kid. But wait, I wonder if um, what would be some of the things I would, I would say maybe like some tidbits or food for thought that they might think about when they're, and you've given us some already, but it's things that they can think about and say, oh, I wonder if this is something that I should explore further. Okay. 
I'd like to put a disclaimer in here that I am absolutely not, <laughs> I'm not saying <laughs> anything is or is not definitively a feature. No, for or sure, or for sure. We're very much talking about a kind of package of things. I, yes. I think um, I think one thing that's quite simple is that if the strategies for autism work, then then that might be something that that is worth considering. So, mm -hmm. for example um change you know planning things things not going well some people are very averse to those kind of things um some people are just uh, averse to those things for all sorts of reasons you know some people just like to be in mm -hmm. control it's nothing to do with autism at all but what i've found is that some of those people if they're not autistic and you suggest to that person well, you know, let's have a, a plan, a routine, let's let's fix what we're going to do, then some people really don't want that. It, it, it doesn't help. It doesn't make them feel less bothered, less anxious, you know, easier, more flexible. It, it, it just doesn't help. Um, I, I think the other thing in, in relation to that is anxiety itself, which which we we understand and accept is a is a, a rational response for autistic people living in a highly confusing non-autistic world right but often the strategies for that anxiety are specific to autistic people so for example again using that concept of change that if you are anxious because you don't know what's going on and we put something in place um that's quite an autistic response most people are not anxious about the same things that autistic people are anxious about Mm -hmm. they're not uh, and, and again if somebody is shy um they're not necessarily rehearsing a conversation planning a script ruminating analyzing they're, they're the kind of behind the scenes stuff is different in autistic people i don't think i'm explaining that very well but i think it, it, it's not behavior that makes you autistic it's it's the behind the scenes it's the cognitive stuff it's why do i avoid people why do I wear sunglasses? Why do I have a schedule for my day? That's where the autism is, in, is in the why, rather than the fact that I do it or don't do it. Right, right, right. No, I think that I think it does make sense. And I think that's I think that's part of the exploration um, in determining whether again, whether it's do I think that that I, I have autism or not, or a, just a further exploration of who I am as a person and why do I, you know, what makes me tick? Absolutely. <laughs> um, I think also, you know, back to your question about, you know, what my educators or parents think about, ask your children, young people, adults, why do you do that? Why do you separate mm -hmm. your food? Why do you line that up? Why do you just ask them? And, and that's the insight. And some people will just have this astonishing insight that will just, whoa, just absolutely blow you away. We don't ask. We just sit there from the outside kind of, you know, making these presumptions, often using these words. Oh, yeah, he's a really fussy eater or, yeah, he's really this or that. But actually, if we just ask that the reason that some people don't eat two foods together is because it makes a third food. And that's not what I asked for. <laughs> It's, you know, it's right. really simple. Does that make sense? You, you're it, mixing it totally makes sense. You're mixing colors. You're mixing flavors. Uh, I asked for chicken and I asked for potatoes. I didn't ask for this chickeny potato thing that seems to be <laughs> merging in the in the other part of my plate. 
right. beautiful sense and logic, but you look from the outside and you don't, you just don't see it. But but surely that's obvious, isn't it? Like that's that's not what I asked for. I asked for two things, not three. No, I think that's that's a beautiful way to to say it. And I think those who either live with autism or have you know, close family members will appreciate that particular analogy, but I, and see it from a different lens, which I think is awesome. Um, it's funny. I have a, a friend who she would say, you know, oh, I'm a, I'm a picky eater, just like you'd say, I'm, yeah. I'm particular. And then, you know, it was just spending more and more time. It was like, oh, well, why, why don't you like mushrooms? And she's, she's like, honestly, I really just don't like the texture because, you know, there's really not much flavor in them once you mix them with other stuff. She says, but the texture just makes me crazy. And then she would do that with like mashed potatoes or other things. Yeah. And she's like, oh, wow, maybe I, maybe I do have some sensory stuff going yeah. on. <laughs> and you often find them in patterns. So if I, food is always something I ask people about because it's very interesting mm -hmm. and because it's something we do every day. We have no choice you know, to, to fuel ourselves. So often there are patterns um, in either repetition or preferences for texture seem to kind of go together. So you'll yeah. find people that don't like anything that has that particular texture, even though the foods may be incredibly different. We might be talking potatoes and bananas and I don't know, you know, something totally, totally different. And, and again, I think sometimes people don't, they don't recognize that actually there's a theme here. This is this is not someone individually disliking things. They are disliking things that all fall within the same category. And right. I think texture is far more likely to play a part than flavor. Right, 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 right. Exactly. It's it's, it's different than saying in your mouth. Ugh, I know it's it's a yeah, it's a thing, isn't it, for a lot of people. <laughs> Right. And I would say, so I'm curious, I know you, you mentioned food, but um, sometimes sensory type of input is something that we would, uh, and maybe that's just, maybe it's just, I'm, I'm putting this together now as we're speaking, but, um, you know, as a, as adults, when we look at different sensory types of input, um, you know, it, it can feel like, oh, wow, I don't like that type of touch or I don't like those types of sense or I don't, you know, and, and then you start looking at them, like you said, as a package <laughs> and it's like, oh, I didn't realize there is this pattern to this particular scent or it's the same ingredient, you know, in all of these different types of candles absolutely. or perfumes yeah, or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a constant voyage of discovery, certainly for me as an adult, to just keep putting these pieces together that have been there most of my life and been labeled in different ways by me, by other people to suddenly go, Oh yeah. Okay. That's, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. And obviously working with other people, yeah, I meet lots of people who don't separate their food and all that kind of thing. And, and I, you know, and I think to myself, well, I don't do that. I, I didn't do that. And, and then you start mm -hmm. to look at your own systems. And then I realized that actually I have a completely different system, <laughs> but it is a system that, that you know, right. I actually don't like eating singular foods. I, I need them to be multiple foods on one, uh, you know, fork or spoon or something, that that's deliberate and that I'm constantly right. measuring the amounts of each of these things before they go into my mouth. That there is a, you know, constantly looking at the system, but on the outside, I don't look like an autistic eater because I'm just <laughs> picking these spoons up and shoveling them in. I'm not frowning at my plate, and, you know, separating things. I'm just diving in and having a great time. But, but right. inside, 
oh, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on and don't you dare steal one of my potatoes because that was accounted for. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, it sounds like a a dinner I may have had. (laughs) But back to the kind of female thing, that's what the women are doing. The women, I think, are just sitting there, you know, frowning about this stuff, wanting to not make a fuss because... You know, it's that it's it's nature nurture mixed together. If you've been getting messages from since you were a young person that says you're not quite right, you're just not who we want to play with. You're a bit strange. You've got different interests. You're, I don't know, you're you know a bit particular about things. That's what you grow up with, and and so you know the autism may have been there. That's that's your that's your nature, but but everyday life has got this nurture on top which just says you don't fit you don't belong, you don't fit. And despite all of your efforts over the years, you you still don't fit. And I think that's why these women come at this age and they say, I'm done fitting. (laughs) I failed. (laughs) Give me a new ticket and I'll just go and spend the rest of my life shouting at people and saying, no. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I'm curious what your opinion is with um, people who, uh, so here's an example, and my son will use it when he speaks sometimes, um, is, uh, for example, he uh, he never, as a young, you know, when he was real young, he didn't like jeans, right, or any type, he, he preferred, you know, more elastic banded pants, let's be yeah. real, I think most of us prefer that anyway, but anyway. <laughs> especially now right um but you know he would go to school and he would see his peers wearing regular jeans and at one point he said i want to be able to wear jeans and i said well but but you you really don't feel comfortable in them um but do you want to try and i was like the only way to kind of you know, wear them is to try them and see how they, you know, is it something you can tolerate, um, maybe just for school or whatever. So, you know, I wonder how much, you know, then it's like, do I feel, I feel bad? Like, did I make him wear jeans? And I don't think I did because I think he asked. So I think that's okay. Um, but, but I guess maybe again, we're asking the why here, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I think, think the I think there's again I think it's a it's a human nature that uh, you know sometimes I I've been in schools or conferences or whatever and people have said well how come this person can do this thing in this setting but they won't do it in this setting and right. so that is presumed to be contrary you know uh, attention seeking or whatever but I, but mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the same for all of us I think partly there's a there's a value judgment given to something so for your son tolerating some uncomfortable genes in order to gain some social acceptance it, mm-hmm. you know it's almost like a little balance a little set of scales where where he's kind of decided that actually they tip in favor on that on that one occasion they tip right. in favor of of that social social acceptance it might be that, you know, another time in his life that, that that's not so necessary or not so important. And you know what? Genes are no longer tolerable because they don't make any sense. You know, so I, I think there's a sure. there's a consistency expected often in autistic people, which non-autistic people don't apply to themselves. Um, I think the other thing is that things are cumulative that, you know, I know um, 
where, where I am, we have to wear masks all the time when we when we go out. And the wearing of a mask, uh, obviously COVID, is hugely reduces my capacity to do anything else. I, I, I just find it it's incredibly hot. It, it steams up my glasses. It presses on my face. I, I find the physical experience of wearing it extremely uncomfortable. Um, it means I can go to a shop for maybe half the time, the half the length of time that I would normally be comfortable with. It means my ability to process conversation and everything else is hugely reduced. I'm exhausted by that experience. So to some degree, some of this is cumulative. It's not just one thing I have trouble with, but but you could say that the mask has just tipped me over the edge from something right. which is okay into something which is is really, really you know, finishes me off for the day just to, to be, be in a shop for half an hour or something. So, and again, I don't right. think we always think about that, 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 that if you've only got one thing going on, you might be able to cope with it. But if we've got a whole bunch of stuff, new places, new people, uncomfortable genes, smells, noise, whatever, then overall capacity is going to be reduced. And it doesn't make you contrary. It, it just means that you're full um, and that sometimes right. you're not full. And therefore, you can cope with more. No, I think that totally makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, I, again, I think it's, you know, some sometimes and I think it's also day to day dependent, maybe hour to hour. Absolutely. Right. What what capacity is it's the same for all humans. But, but, sure. but somehow it, 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 there's, there's a consistency expected in autistic people that, that other people just don't seem to apply to themselves. <laughs> Right. I've, I said I just had this conversation with uh, an educator, too, and it's, you know, we're looking at um, creating, you know, education plans. And in creating them, we are applying this set of goals and expectations on kids who have an education plan that might not even be realistic to, yeah. you know, their peers. So it's like, what are we doing um, when we're creating these things? We need to be really And you don't careful. know what happened at home. You, you don't know what's, sure. you know, how much sleep did they have? What did they eat? Did they, you know, their favorite jumper in the wash? Or we, you just don't know what's adding to that cumulative uh, capacity, really, do we? Right, right. And then we haven't even begun to do whatever that task at hand is, which yeah. is either going to school or going to work or sitting down for that meal, right? We've had all these other things uh, impact us before we even begin the task. And so, um, yeah, I really, and I've been emphasizing about just bringing that awareness to uh, well, of course, to, to families and to educators, but also to individuals about, hey, you know, I think, like you said, we can be so self-critical that we forget that we're also human. <laughs> Absolutely. And again, one of the things that the people who, who take on assessment diagnosis, self-diagnosis is, is, is they say, I want to be more compassionate to myself and there is a comparison often uh, and again this seems to be a more female thing that that people are looking around at their peers and saying oh but they're going to work full time they're 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 you know seeing their family they're doing hobbies they're doing all of these things and you know i can barely get through the day and part of this diagnosis i think is a recognition that your capacity may be less than other people and that your expectations of yourself occupationally personally they just have to be altered because mm -hmm. it's not worked when you tried to meet 
the, the norms of society. If that's really failed you and made you very ill, then logically we need a new a new set of rules to follow. And and I think that's very hard for people to you know to think. Well, I'm I'm physically able. I'm I'm intelligent. I, you know why is going to the store absolutely wiped me out? What why? What's wrong with me? But right. I think the autistic perspective just says that living in the world is just cognitively harder for a lot of people to to make sense of things and and the sensory input and the change and all of that kind of stuff. And it's really hard. I I don't get it. I haven't I haven't accepted it. I still constantly saying, "What's wrong with me? Why am I so tired? I haven't done anything." And <laughs> it, it's just, yeah, my capacity is super low, super low. Right. And I think I really like that you said that, that people want to be more compassionate with themselves because, um, you know, especially now during this, you know, lockdown COVID um, time, it's been uh, really even an extra struggle for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but then having this, you know, this reminder that, yes, it's OK to you know be compassionate with yourself. You don't have to compare yourself to other people. Maybe maybe this experience will allow people to hold on to that a little bit more. I'm hoping that that could be a positive. Oh, I hope so. I have to say that, that and this is not everybody's experience, but I, I would say that the vast majority of autistic people I've spoken to through you know through through confinement and lockdown often have never been happier that mm-hmm. these social demands are not there, their anxiety is lower, their mental health is better, um, that, that, you know, a lot of them are just having a wonderful time. <laughs> like, not <laughs> and I know that people are struggling and that's not to take away from that. But, but that would be my, my experience, that, that, that people are, are finding it a relief uh, not to make excuses, to not go places, to be able to manage their routines, to not have to leave the house. Um, yeah, certainly, that, that's, that's it's cool. making it more socially acceptable to be able to do all of those things and to not, like you said, not yeah. have to make excuses for it. Absolutely. Which is just work in itself to have to think, oh, my God, what am I going to say? Or how are we going to do? <laughs> so it's just like, oh, no, it's dangerous. Sorry. And that's it. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Easy, done and done. Exactly. Wonderful, no problem. Oh well, see you in a month. It's okay. <laughs> so I know um you do so many other things and I've I've kind of perused your website. Um, you know, what other what other types of you know information can people find uh when you know I will put all of your information in the podcast description where to find you. Uh but what can you know what, what other type of work can they find that you do and your your organization because you have several people you know doing work with you. Well to be honest, Delia, I do very little. Um <laughs> I <laughs> I, I I completely and utterly burnt myself out uh, about three or four years ago. Um, very poor at recognizing my own limitations and and became fairly unwell physically and mentally. Um, and I never really entirely recovered. So I have much huge huge difficulties with independent uh, moving around, travel and things like that because of because of extreme anxiety and panic attacks and so I I gave it all up um Mm -hmm. my daughter now kind of looks after things and I have a wonderful or she does nothing to do with me so 
it's all down to her, um, uh, so on, our, on, the, on the website, which she now looks after, um, we have a number of autistic uh, female coaches and a non-autistic counsellor who has an autistic son, um, and, they, and they offer kind of hourly support, employment support, individual support over, over Skype. Um, and we, the, the organization, I, I used to do it, but I don't anymore, obviously does, we've got conference speakers and trainers and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and a lot more is going, you know, by, by webinar. So it's not even just UK based anymore. People are doing right. stuff kind of internationally. Um, so, so yeah. Um, so no, I'm, I've, I've kind of disappeared and I just, I just do a, a very small number of these, these assessments from home um and and that that's it i've kind of disappeared myself well i i'm grateful that you um were able to spend time with me here because i think this is uh it's a real treat so i appreciate that i didn't have and, to leave uh, home it was fine <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 hey, i don't have to cook dinner because it's it's, it's in the evening here it's so, evening, um, yeah. i've already told yeah. Keith that i'll be completely exhausted and that he needs to sort out dinner so it's win-win for me <laughs> 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 well, that's the beauty of, of what where we're at right now. I mean, this technology has been available, but um, now I've been able to work with people all over the world, and yeah. so my audience is international. And it, I don't think I don't think it would have been as easy had we not been in this um, situation. So I, I, and I've also been able to have access to people that are home because <laughs> they're not traveling all over the world. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm able to connect more. So I, I appreciate you spending time and definitely um, for those listening, there is a ton of information on your site and books um, and they can find all of the articles. And um, I mean, honestly, you just type your name in and you find a lot of really good stuff. So um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being with me today thank you for having me I hope I haven't waffled too much off topic and and been vaguely coherent so so thank you oh no I think this was great thank you so much and um and again maybe who knows maybe in the future we can chat or or meet at some some place I don't know <laughs> when we can well, travel again. come here there's no way I'm getting on an airplane right right no no not right now I know <laughs> All right, well, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. Also, if you join our email list at thespectrumstrategy.com, you can get a code to attend one of my online courses for free. See you next time.